This is a Hot Pie Media Original. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. BetterHelp, that's H-E-L-P, is professional therapy done securely online. I've gotten therapy. There's no shame in that ever. So if you feel like you need to take next steps and stick around for a discount code at the end, BetterHelp will assess your needs, match you with your own licensed professional therapist. And since they are committed to facilitating solid therapeutic matches, they make it easy and free to change therapist if needed. You can start communicating in under 48 hours, schedule weekly video or phone sessions, and log into your account anytime and send a message to your therapist. It's available worldwide and more affordable than traditional therapy. And guess what else? Financial aid is available too. I think that's a huge statement about BetterHelp because, man, therapy is not easy. I know the year that I was going through my divorce, we wanted to go through divorce uh, care counseling the whole time. And man, we spent like $60,000, money that honestly we didn't have, but we were trying to help each other, help ourselves and having someone that will come in and support and make it affordable for all. You know, I think that's very important and speaks highly of BetterHelp. BetterHelp really wants you to start living a happier life today. Visit their website at BetterHelp. That's H-E-L-P dot com. Read some reviews and take the next step to take charge of your mental health because you are an overcomer. Special offer for Overcome with Justin Wren listeners. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash Overcome. Again, that's BetterHelp.com slash Overcome. Welcome to Overcome with Justin Wren and Amy Edwards. The producer is out from behind the scenes. Yes, she's up here with me. And back. Really. And back. She was on the last episode. I stepped out for a bit. Yeah, you stepped out for a few while mm-hmm. I was trying to arrange things to get to treatment. Mm-hmm. This episode, we are back in studio together and we're going to talk about my time in treatment and also since I've been out of treatment for a week or more. And oh, you've been out for longer than a week. Uh, you think it's two weeks now? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. Well, that's great. Um, and I got out on the 23rd. And of December, yes. Oh, yeah. I have been out <laughs> more than two weeks. Yeah. And we had a great Christmas. We had a great we Christmas. We did have a good I, Christmas. I was nervous, but you know what? You've showed up um, more than good. Like, you've showed up really, really well. Thank you. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, thank you for all your love mm-hmm. and support. And and I'm learning what 10th step is. So, you know, we're 10 oh, stepping. stepping. We're 10 stepping. 10 stepping. Uh-huh. The 12 steps. Aren't for everybody, but they are for me. Mm-hmm. And uh, it it's really helped me the second time at treatment. And maybe that's something we could get into. I can talk a little bit about my first time and second time. Yeah, let's do. I want to just say really quick too. Tenth stepping means, at least to me, it means you catch yourself right away. Yeah. When something's wrong or if you're being dishonest or something and, and you you work to make it right. Yeah. In that moment. Absolutely. So or, the tenth, qui- or quickly. Yeah. yeah. Ap- you want to. Yeah continue yeah. to watch. And and there's mm-hmm. only two paragraphs about the 10th step in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And, but it's really profound. It's really powerful where you're monitoring 
not for substances. You're not looking out. You're not continuing to watch for this substance that might take you out or that substance that might take you out. And for me, it's not just a drug of choice or a drug of no choice. One thing it can be anything that changes the way that I feel. And so, but what's really unique about the 10 step is you're checking yourself, keeping yourself in um, check for times that you are resentful or angry um, times that you are dishonest or delusional. Um, you might have a delusion. You're telling yourself like this person doesn't like me. And is that really true? I don't know. You need to talk to someone about it. Right. Times that you're fearful or times that you're selfish. And whenever you see those things come up, I mean, there's a quick little acronym whoop that you're trying to whoop that mind into shape or that, uh, yourself into a fit condition to like be able to handle the challenges of life. But it's watch pray to whatever your higher power is. Mm -hmm. Um, and then you discuss, so what you do is you call up a sponsor, someone in recovery or somebody, people can do all these steps, not in addiction at all, which is really cool. I know. I, I agree with this this one very much in my own life. And these are going to crop up all the time. And it's just like everything else. I always talk about this. Everything's a practice. So you don't, it's not a one and done. Everything's a, this is just a practice and it's like a muscle. It gets stronger the more that you do it. You watch, pray, discuss. Mm -hmm. And then if you have to make amends, you do, uh, like, uh, and then you turn, you turn your thoughts on how you can help somebody. You resolutely turn your thoughts to helping another person, which is really cool. And the thing that I liked was one of my recovery specialists. Um, uh, he helped me through this. I won't say the name of the treatment center or, or names of people there. Um, but it was an incredibly powerful place. If people DM me and need to go to a place, I will give you the name of the place and the people and how to get there. Uh, but yeah, so it's just kind of uh, routine that people don't really share oh, where really? they go in the in the community or things like that. that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, and I don't really know why that is. You're trying. They're like, don't promote one place. Like promote getting help anywhere they can get help. Absolutely. Right? And so that makes sense. Yeah. And then whenever you discuss it with another person, my sponsor said people are cosmic mirrors. Your sponsor or a person that can help, they're cosmic mirrors placed here by. God or that spirit of the universe to help you see, um, like your current reality. And so basically what that means is self can't see self mm-hmm. and I can't see all my faults. And sometimes people can, like when I talked to Brigham that time and Brigham was telling me, I'm like, Hey, I don't see myself when I'm high. I don't see myself. No, when you I'm think inactive. you're fine. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Mm-hmm. Because my mind, my brain says I need this and this is okay. Mm-hmm. And I'm okay when I'm, when I'm using it. And so one of the things that Brigham said is, uh, bro, you are like an, a rocket ship to the moon and you invite people on this ship with you and you're headed towards like great things and you might land among the stars or however he said it. He goes, but when you use, when that substance enters your body, it is like an avalanche of pain from the rocket ship up to an avalanche down. And it's an avalanche of pain for everyone that loves you, cares about you and is around you because you're like a bull in a China shop. And he's like, and you're, you're not doing it consciously or selfishly so much, although it is a selfish disease. Um, it can hurt a lot of people. He said, it's just, you're oblivious. You're like in the abyss. And it talks a lot about that through this program that I learned about. And this is not just a promotion of AA. In fact, it's supposed to be about attraction, not promotion. So I'm not even really supposed to promote that, but, uh, it was all of it. It was all of it. It was the prayer meditation. It was the therapy. It was the counselors. It was the process groups with people that shared in your same struggle 
which was really incredible for me to be around because nobody got me. I mean, you get me, but you also don't suffer from this, what I learned to be a disease. The first time I went to treatment center, which we'll get on the comparison of first time, second time. First time I went, I was, they weren't convinced it was a disease. I mean, they said it was, but they didn't act like it was. And, um, and this second time it was like, whoa, it's, it's a disease. This thing is out to, my brain's out to trick me, um, to kill me and make it look like an accident. And, uh, and because it thinks these substances that are killing me are so important for my survival, which is pretty insane. So in quick comparison to my first time at treatment and second time, first time I went May, 2020, May 15th, got out August 15th of 2020. And not so far after that, just over a year, um, I was having to go back, you know, 14 months later. So did it work? Obviously not. I was sober for a good six months. Uh, no. Yeah, I was sober for six months. Because, six months? Yeah, from from May 15th until what? November? Whenever, uh, uh, what was it? It was uh, Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving? Yeah, Thanksgiving. Are you so sure? I think for May 15th. In October? Then, you didn't do anything? Uh, we'll have to go back to my little notes because I know I did before that. But for me, yeah, it wasn't one that was noticeable to anybody else. Uh, Thanksgiving was. So I said that was a big relapse on weed, which was my drug of choice, drug of no choice. I was under the, we'll we'll get into that. I wanted to share about first and second, but no, you're, you're right. Just, I'm just going to push you to be fully honest. Well, I want to be fully honest Mm -hmm. and you're right. What I had done, uh, in October was mushrooms and I had tried ketamine. That's what I'm talking Um, about. Yeah. That's not sober. That's right. That's true. Um, so you I, can't say I was a good sober for yeah. six months. Well, whatever that was, I, I, is five. it May to October? Yeah. Five. Is that five? Okay. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I don't do math really well. Five months <laughs> I was sober. And then what I think I was under the, the guise or disguise of was, um, was thinking that some of these substances can cure substance use disorder because whether it's Johns Hopkins or other universities that are showing that, for fighter brains, it helps neurogenesis, uh, totally. and neuropathways for, totally. for and concussions. You know, there's a lot of trauma. great proven science yeah, for around trauma, a lot of things. for depression, mm-hmm. for PTSD, for childhood wounds. Um, and then I think a lot of people are making a push that this will cure addiction. Um, oh yeah, you hear that. You hear that, mm-hmm. and I was I was told that, and I was like, oh okay, so I really have to stay away from oxycotton, and I really have to stay away from weed. And I wasn't truly set on that one either. I was like, Mm -hmm. well, I had a medical card doctor said I needed it in Colorado. And then doctor said I needed it in Oklahoma. And, but I knew basically at treatment, I had to check the facts. And so the facts are yes, oxy and weed are my two main worst drugs that will take me out quicker than anything else. But anything, anything that's mind altering to me, um, like when I went and did ayahuasca and I thought, uh, this substance was going to cure me of substance use disorder. Even coming out of the vision, I thought it seeing, uh, these looking like big, badass robed angels were ripping out of me an octopus tentacle and a python and a parasitic worm that was so huge. Mm-hmm. And then I started vomiting and then it was like they touched me and, and, and healed me, whatever these, these, uh, beings, where these sentient beings touching me, yeah. it was like, it was so good. It was so loving. It was so profound that all of a sudden I thought, oh, that's what it did. It cured me. Yeah. And that lasted 
a I, day. Yeah. And then I relapsed on weed a, right then. You relapsed what on I weed did, within two days. What you, I, you, we, you, we had a, we had a fight yep, on the phone yep. and then. And the thing was, was that I thought, I thought I could. So the big book or a lot of these 12 step programs talk about a thousand and counselors and therapists talk about a thousand different an addict struggles because they're a, their addict mind, their alcoholic mind is always trying to take them back out to use. And not always, but, but a lot of times, and it does it in very cunning, baffling ways that there's a thousand different types of self delusion or self deception where you trick yourself. And so I was like, Oh, I just had this powerful, profound experience. These guys are sparking up with weed. You know, this is a safe environment for me to put this to the sure, test. Sure. And so I will put it to the test and I'll have one puff and put it down. Well, then I spun out for five full days and it was, it was one of the darkest times of my life um, immediately after. And a lot of people say I didn't respect the quote unquote medicine that you're not supposed to have any mind altering substance for like 30 days, 60 days, 90 days after you do an ayahuasca thing. So I made a mistake there. But I would say that. But you were already an addict. So I was already an addict. I mean, there's just more drugs, really. Yes. Escape. Yeah. Escape. Yeah. Yeah. And wanting a substance that will change the way I feel, that uncomfortable side of me, or not even necessarily consciously saying I need to change the way I feel, but my mind just saying, this is important. Yeah. It's, It's like food and water. Yeah. It's like shelter. It's like paying rent or can it's more I, important than can that. Can I interject something yeah. for a second? Please. So I, when you went away to treatment, I ordered some books and mm-hmm. I have never had a good, solid understanding of the disease of addiction yeah. and what's behind it. And so I ordered a book. I don't know if I can pronounce this guy's name. Andrew Prulks, P-R-O-U-L-X, M-D. It's called Understanding and Helping an Addict. And keeping your sanity. Hmm. And it is a long book. And it's one of those books I thought, oh, it's long. I'll be able to kind of skim through. No, like literally every sentence is good. And so I was reading every single word. I, I haven't quite finished it, but he gives a really, really good picture. He's a doctor. He's going to be uh, one of the first like addict therapists in the country. I think Hmm. he's like, um, I, I can't, I, I, I didn't bring the book in front of me, unfortunately, but I just looked it up on Amazon. It's available on Amazon. I highly recommend it. If you, it's new too. It just came out last year. It's very thorough and it just helped me understand how your brain was functioning and how mm. your brain was tricking you and how you needed it for survival. Cause I just did not at all grasp that I was in this mindset grasp of like, hard for why people can't you to just fucking too. quit? Yeah, yeah, it is. It's really hard. It's so hard to have compassion this, and empathy for this it. This book helped me the most. That. Yeah. Yeah. The most of anything that I've read. Well, that's so, really great. I yeah. would love to dig into that too. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing on this that I really came addiction to realize. Psychology. Sorry. Addiction he's a psychology. P- he's a PhD in addiction psychology. Yes. That's really great. Yeah. One of the things I learned at treatment was that. Addiction is the only disease that will try to convince the person with it that they really don't have it. (laughs) You know, you tell someone they have stage four cancer (laughs) yeah, and oh boy, they're going to do something about it, right? Whether they choose radiation and chemo or not. They might go do some holistic stuff. Like they're going to, they're going to take action. It appears as choice. Yeah. 
you know? Well, I think that's interesting. You just said that because I flipped in my uh, planner where I was taking a ton of notes and I have my binders in front of me and the big book in front of me and Dr. Amon's book. Your brain yeah, is always really, listening. As, a, as your producer, I feel kind of like I'm not holding my own over No, here. you are. You're doing great. You just brought up a book. And here <laughs> I go. Uh, there's a guy named Kevin McCauley. He's one of the first uh, addicts that, pe- that became a doctor. Actually, he was a doctor first. He was a Navy flight surgeon. Mm-hmm. So he worked for the military and was doing surgery on our military veterans and, and current guys that were active. And then he became an addict. Be- this guy was an addict too. Yeah. Was he a doctor first? Or did he become yeah. one because of that? Yeah. Wow. So he started to inject him with the stuff. He was a that, psychologist and yeah. then he became an addict and then he became an addiction psychologist. Wow. Yeah. Well, this guy was a surgeon <laughs> and then he basically closed down Levensworth prison, yeah. uh, the old school military prison. Uh, and he was there for something like 14 years when they caught him injecting himself with the same thing as putting people to sleep with and other kinds of opiates and stuff like that. They decided to make a point. Uh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So instead of getting him help, they're like, he needs to go to prison. And, uh, yeah. And and one of the things he talks about, he has a YouTube series. I think it's called pleasure unwoven. And he talks about dopamine and serotonin and glutamate and all, and the prefrontal cortex and the limbic system. That's all in this book too. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's all part of it. Yeah. And he talks about specifically with prisons. At the time he made this thing, there's like 3.4 million Americans behind bars. Well, something like 90% of those people were there for drug related charges. 3.4 million people. And instead of getting 90% of them into treatment, and they do that sometimes, they do that, they do that sometimes give you options. But a lot of times those options aren't actually the good options. Mm -hmm. It's like the place I went to first behavior, cognitive behavioral therapy or, um, semi-cognitive. I forget. It's like behavior modification. Oh yeah. That's different. Behavior modification is, uh, a form of being scared straight and, the, I'll get into that into in a minute, but Kevin was really great. Kevin McCauley. Um, he also has one of his best presentations on YouTube. I've also researched them since. And before I went to treatment, it's called the brain and recovery and update on neuro, the neuroscience of addiction. I think it's got like 158,000 views and it is well worth your time. If you are struggling with addiction to understand yourself or if you have a family member, a friend, an employee, an employer, that is someone that struggles and you just know it and you want to understand what they're going through. This guy, his whole time, 14 years behind bars, all he did was study the brain and addiction. And then he became a doctor. Um, and now I think he started treatment centers uh, out in California and he is just changing the game. He said, as a physician, uh, his question was, is this really a disease? Is it really a disease? And he, as a physician, that is what they should ask. Yeah. You know, just let's get fundamental. Yeah. Is it really a disease? Well, as a physician, he said yes. he was, he was skeptical. Yeah. Good. Even as an addict, anyone that's a scientist should be yeah. skeptical of anything. He said the choice argument is strongest that it's a, a disease of choice. And he said that with that, basically you can say it's a choice because guess what? If I put drugs in front of an addict and I'm holding a gun to his head, and I say, don't use the drugs. Is he going to use the drugs? I got a gun to his head. No, he's going to choose not to use the drugs. And like 99% so of it. Choose. So he can choose. But that's a pretty extreme example, right? Extreme. That's that's like the hundred year old 
uh, doctor's take on it being a disease or not. I mean, if you hold a gun in my head, I'm not going to eat food either. If you tell me yeah. not to eat food. Yeah. But whatever guess what? Later I'm going to eat food. Yeah, because you got to. <laughs> uh, on that, you want to know what's pretty interesting about talking about is it a choice or not? Do we have to choose to eat? Like we we have to eat. We can say we don't need to or whatever, but like to survive, we're going to have to eat. We're going to have to drink water. Like we have to. Yes. And um, for survival. So there was a thing in uh, a video clip we watched called, uh, I think it was addiction 101 or neuroscience of addiction 101. And they did these brain studies where they plugged someone's brain up to uh, basically MRI machines. And they had all these things to read what was firing in the brain. And they took people and they kept them off of water for something like three, four, five days, like almost like towards like literal dehydration to death. Oh my goodness. And they studied their brains, these volunteers to go through that. And basically what they said, the size of that craving for water was about the size of a baseball on the scale that they put it on. So Mm -hmm. not a baseball in the brain, but on the scale that they were going to do a diagram. And, uh, at least an illustration, it was the craving was the size of a baseball. Then they took people with hunger pangs, like real pain and starvation mode. They made people not eat for something like three weeks or more. And they had them not eat for three weeks. And these people were starving, right? Or fasting for a really long time. Uh, but a lot of them probably didn't have that as a practice. And so all of a sudden you just go from eating food, whatever you want, maybe fast food to just stopping cold turkey. Three weeks later, when they plugged their brains up to uh, these tests, they said that craving size was the size of a basketball. So even more than water, even though you'll die quicker from water. So there's an interesting mm-hmm. take there forget what it was. Then they took an addict and they just took him off cold Turkey, cold Turkey, put them through withdrawals. And then they plugged their brain up to it in only a day or two, a day or two or three, something like that mm-hmm. with withdrawals. He did it on different scales. Wait, let me guess. So now we're going to say how big it was, how big it is. So we've done a, a baseball, baseball for, for the water. water. A basketball, basketball for, for food, food, for hunger, for food, for hunger. Yeah. But and a craving for a drug when that's <laughs> taken away, removed from them. What size would you say? Is it going to be another ball size? You, you just got to take a guess. Oh, okay. I got to take a guess. Uh, I'm going to guess the size of what's an object. Uh, I don't know. Let's say a golf ball. Okay. Let's say. Uh, I don't know, a, a, a truck. Oh, a truck. Yeah. Let's say a swimming pool. Oh. And let's say a baseball field. Oh, shit. Yeah. Between oh. those ranges. I don't know. I'm going to go with a truck. A truck. Uh-huh. Okay. No. And it wasn't a swimming pool. It was a freaking baseball field. It was a baseball yeah. field? So the average addict in their cravings and in their withdrawals they wanted that in comparison to a starving person wanting a food or a starving person wanting food, a basketball. Well, I can't imagine that they, kind of craving. They wanted it as big of a baseball field. And they showed how many basketballs you can fit in a baseball field, how many <laughs> baseballs you can fit yeah. in a baseball field. And it was like, boom, it was mind blowing that like, this is a real deal disease. It's a disease of, and so it's a addiction is a disease of choice. It's a drug of no choice. Um, and people will wrongly say it's a personality disorder or it's poor morals or bad actions. Like these people are just bad people, 
But then when they did studies on them and it's like, well, yeah, there's a lot of criminals that are, but oftentimes the people that either it was drug related charges or they were selling drugs or they committed a crime while using drugs and alcohol, right? Or they were driving and all this stuff, like 90% of people buying bars, something like that was related to it in some way, shape or form. So this country should really shift in saying this isn't a this isn't a criminal justice crisis. This is a public health crisis. Like we should get people treatment. We should give them resources, counseling, therapy. Like the addict on the street, like like literally Portugal. We learned about Portugal and how Portugal basically made no drugs illegal. Mm-hmm. And what they would do is when they see people in the streets that are heroin addicts and things like that, they would go up and offer them treatment. Do you want to get help? Because if you want help, there's free help. We want to send you there. We want to give you counseling. We want to give you therapy. And they showed like the remission and the 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 recovery rates of the that country and that nation. And it was astounding. It was like so many people got help because it was available to them. Yeah. And we live in these times now today where, yeah, it might not be the easiest thing. Um, I mean, like if you get in trouble with the law, different stuff like that. But like, I'm so glad we live in 2022 now. Because there's all the resources, there's the meetings, there's over 127,000 AA groups yeah. uh, just in the world. And they have NA for narcotics and, and cocaine anonymous, they have crystal meth anonymous, they have CODA, codependency anonymous, yeah. they have sex and love addiction anonymous, um, they have Al-Anon for families. Uh, they have all these resources out there. They do. You know, well, it reminded me of that show I, that episode I did um, around Thanksgiving with Angie Heil, who mm. went to jail, a friend of mine who, you know, went to prison and yeah. hers was alcohol related, yeah. of course. And so um, she was rehabilitated in prison. She just said she got really lucky mm. and got into a program called Truth Be Told for Women. Wow. So, yeah. But I mean, that's rare. Yeah. Yeah. We had a guy um, that because of drugs had spent 27 years behind bars. In, um, in treatment with in you? In treatment with me. And, I think you told me about now, this And now he, I won't use his name because no. uh, I want to, you know, keep his, yeah, of course. An, uh, him anonymous, but now he's a huge advocate in the criminal justice, uh, like of Texas. And he goes back into prisons and speaks. He speaks to even guards and wardens and mm-hmm. he speaks to lawmakers and he calls himself uh, uh, a prison prisoner, a, ballin- a how do you say that? Abolitionist. Where he thinks that people like nine times out of 10, even more than that, like he's like, Mm -hmm. dude, prison is like slavery, prison slavery, especially for the addict, like someone that needed help. Now you just put them behind bars and you expect them to get better instead of worse. You expect our our society to be better when they get out. Yeah. He talked about how you're acting. He talked about how he wasn't a violent person that he only used while he was alone. Yeah. And then all of a sudden like charges and different stuff happened and, um, and and then he went to prison after his first time in prison. He was a military veteran, was in good standing with mm-hmm. that. And whenever he got out, all of a sudden from that to the shame and pain of going to prison yeah. and having to be put in these, you know, people, he, he wasn't a, a white guy, but he had to stay with his race yeah. because if he didn't, he would die. And he saw people get stabbed in front of his eyes and murdered and killed. And it was just like, holy smokes. But also behind bars. There was so many people that I looked at them and I was like, you're so smart. Yeah. You're so caring and compassionate. They say addicts are an emotional bunch, like a sensitive group Yeah, and have more feelings than, than yeah. most. Oh. But if you can funnel that. Yes. 
Are we going? No, go ahead. I don't want to interrupt you. No, if you can funnel that, you can use it to help so many people. Well, I'm glad you said that. I'm glad you ended on that because I wanted to say um, that I learned a word and a coping mechanism when I've told you this, I think when I was in therapy while you were gone called sublimation. And that's exactly what they did. Sublimation is a positive coping mechanism that takes something difficult that you've done, like addiction, prison, Mm. this guy, and you use that to do something good. Yeah. I mean, for him, it's 27 years of his life that kind of went missing, but also was just PTSD, you know? Yeah. And one of the things that I want to say before I went to treatment, you put this book in front of me. Uh, I'll hold it up to the screen, but it's uh, your brain is always listening. And it's uh, Dr. Amen. This is his 12th New York Times bestselling book. For you that, y'all that didn't see it, please go see the episode I did with him, a live therapy session. But you said, why do you think he gave this to you? And I, I think I said something like, I don't know, because I'm his patient. And you're like, no, read it. And uh, I didn't sound anything like that when I said it. No, you said, you, yeah, you're right. <laughs> no, it was, read it. yo, not, no, I read it. I don't talk was, to Justin that way, guys. You don't. You were, oh, but you're leading with, uh, we yelled before we went to treatment and all this stuff. Um, yeah, we did. The thing that you said was, uh, read it, please. Like you were like contending, like, like read this. Like, and what I didn't know is I was I'm on the 32nd, 33rd page and in a chapter about wounded dragons. And a lot of people, um, you know, have these, basically the book says your brain is always listening, tame the hidden dragons that control your happiness, hang habits and hangups. And I'll just read the one. It's really well written. And let me just say too, before you get into it, this book is very, very current. Hmm. He talks a lot about our minds and dealing with COVID. And so I dug that about it. Yeah. It's very current. Yeah. It released in 2021 and, uh, it says tools to tame your wounded dragons. Do you recognize wounded dragons in your life? Have you experienced trauma? Two, find the upside. If you remember the pain and trauma from the past, it can help you break it for future generations. If, however, you repress it, you are more likely to repeat it. One of my friends, UFC fighter Justin Wren, who was bullied as a child and struggled with addiction and depression, found meaning and purpose in his life by starting a foundation called Fight for the Forgotten, (laughs) which aims to, to empower people worldwide who have been bullied or forgotten. Among many accomplishments, the foundation has helped 1,500 formerly enslaved pygmies in the jungles of the Congo gain their freedom and take ownership of 3,000 acres of land with access to clean water and farms. When trauma, when a trauma causes you to become stronger, I thought this went with what you were talking about. Yes. Uh, when a trauma causes you to become stronger, it's called post-traumatic growth. I PTG. love that term. I yeah. love that. Right. PTG. And that's my, I'm, I'm in that. I'm, he's highlighting yes. my life, my story. You know, so am I. Yeah. Oh, well, oh, yes. I mean, I'm in post-traumatic growth because yeah. that was traumatic for Both me. Both of us. Yeah. 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 But when you handed this to me, I got emotional whenever I actually read it. And I read it again at treatment. Yeah. I actually cried because I told my counselor, um, the part where he said, I know why. he said, uh, my friend. one of my friends, UFC fighter, Justin Wren. And I called him doctor and I thought of him as a friend. I really look up to him. But you didn't know he thought of you as a friend. That's that's the the difference. I didn't think I was necessarily good enough, right? He knew my darkest moments. shit. Right back to worthiness. Yep. Inadequate. Mm -hmm. That, uh, you know, I went to him at my lowest point, at least at that time in my life. Uh And he knows all my hangups. Yeah. All the destructive nut. I learned, don't say necessarily like self-sabotage and stuff, but like self-defeating habits or self-defeating 
attitudes and actions and behaviors. And it's like, oh, well, that's, that's a little better um, than thinking I'm just self-sabotage, self-destructive and all these words. It's like, no, actually, like I have these things, but I can change these behaviors and these attitudes and uh, that will end up in a different outcome. So whenever he said this, when, when a trauma causes you to become stronger, it's called PTG. I coined the term, and this goes back to what you, you were talking about, post-pandemic growth. I coined the term post-pandemic growth for those who have become stronger uh, from the coronavirus outbreak. PTG happens in about 10% of people who experience traumas and includes a deepened spiritual life. Only 10%? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I would have guessed it was higher. Yeah. It's, mm-hmm. your, it's your choice, I guess, right? And yeah. so um, uh, who, ex- who have experienced trauma and includes a deepened spiritual life, a new appreciation of life, a vision for new possibilities a positive, positive change in relationships and an increase in personal strength. If I can survive this, I can survive most things on the back page. Like there's, there's a lot more in this chapter, but it talks about EMDR talks about before treatment and after treatment. EMDR is like this rapid eye movement, like therapy. Mm -hmm. Um, And I got to do something like that called art, A-R-T. Maybe we'll end with that. EMDR is eye movement desensitization desensitization and reprocessing. Mm. It's a form of psychotherapy where the person being treated is asked to recall distressing images and the therapist directs the patient in one type of bilateral stimulation, like side to side eye movement or tapping or something. Yeah. And what you did is called ART, accelerated resolution trauma therapy. Yes. And for me, it was even more helpful. Uh, Some therapists think that it's even more so than EMDR. It sounds like Uh, it. It it was resolution for me. So little cliffhanger, because we're going to get there because, wow, that was why I went to treatment. I mean, there was a lot of reasons, but that was the highest reason Now you got to get to those roots. Yes. Was the root rotten? Yeah. The root was rotten with me and Mm -hmm. some early, early childhood trauma. What's really cool about this is he shows brain scans and I've seen the PTSD in my own brain lighting up in a a diamond. He said the diamond pattern of emotional activation, white represents areas of highest activity. And you can see, you can connect the dots. Basically mine was all connected. Your brain was looking at pictures of itself. Yeah. That's so weird. Yeah. And so (laughs) then on the, yeah. It's so meta. It's so weird. (laughs) Well, it's so cool to be able to see and then see overall calming afterwards Mm -hmm. and how much it helped people. So I'm going to be continuing to do EMDR, ART. I'm looking for that. That's part of my aftercare program. But I love these affirmations for someone that does have some sort of PTSD, like this can help you move into PTG. And I think, I think honestly, that might be available to more people than 10% for sure. It's available to us all if we're willing to ask for help, um, seek it out, uh, listen, be coachable, put on our learning learner's cap and Just say, why am I? Just be willing to grow from it. Yeah. You know, like how- Having I, a growth mindset. It's a growth mindset. It really yeah. is. I saw a quote the other day. You know, I don't really believe in mistakes. And um, so I don't necessarily totally agree with this quote, but it was like a mistake is only a real mistake is only the ones you don't grow from. Mm. And I was like, yeah, you know, or you could just say anything like, yeah, yeah. you don't grow from it. Cause you're going to have to probably relive it too. If you don't grow from yeah. it. Yeah. Well, honestly, if we went to back to first and second time at treatment, my first time, I mean, the knowledge was all kind of it actually was way different. It wasn't all yeah, the same. Yeah, but you have the knowledge. I yeah. mean, I had, had I had some of the head no- knowledge because I read yeah. the same book. You'd already been to Dr. Amen. You'd yeah. like. Yeah. You'd- but I hadn't put it into practice and I hadn't. Well, that's the thing. You can really have grown. all the knowledge. You yeah. just 
do you use it? I had it? the head knowledge, but I didn't have the heart knowledge, I guess, where it didn't sink down in a way that I truly accepted what, that I was an actual an addict, addict. Yeah. Yeah. For me, it was like, I'm an addict to this and that, but not everything. <laughs> I know. I know. Believe yeah. Me, I know. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then to come to the realization, no, that was a form of self-deception. That was a form of self-protection because I still wanted to use. You don't have an off switch is what I say. Yeah. 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 It's all or nothing. And for me, it's that whole saying, uh, one is too many and a thousand's not enough. <laughs> That's so poignant. That's me, right? You've seen it. So. Big time. <clears throat> um, but these affirmations, to wrap up oh, with Dr. Amos. I love affirmations. You love affirmations. Yes. And uh, this was cool to end on because I needed it. Because working on my fourth step, which is a fearless and moral inventory of yourself, like basically your whole life story and seeing everywhere people have hurt you and you've hurt people and where you have resentments and fears and basically like a sexual inventory of like how you've shown up poorly and different things and like the people you've hurt and you get your amends through that. Some of my stuff was attached to the PTSD, like to have to relive that and to tell the whole life story on a front and back piece of thing. That's just triggering question after question. Yes. It would literally, sometimes I would see red. Yes. Sometimes my hands would shake. Sometimes I'd start to sweat. Sometimes I'd be like, why does it, why do I have to react this way? Come on, brain work, work for me, work with me. Mm -hmm. Like don't work against me in this. And so what I do, I went and I read this chapter again. I got emotional. I cried. I talked to my therapist about it and I got to these affirmations. He said, are you going to do these? Let me ask you this. Yeah. I heard someone say this recently. You heard it too. I'm not going to say anything else about that, but heard someone say, oh, I avoided feeling all these feelings for 13 years. And then I sat down and did the work and it took me like a couple hours. Hmm. So how long did it take you to really fill fill out, feel the feelings, fill out a front and back sheet of paper, do the work, do some effort, read another chapter. Like when you compare that amount of time, yeah, let's say it took you a day. Yeah. When you compare that amount of time to all the years and months that you spent not feeling your feelings. Yeah. Not doing the work around it. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the work is worth it. And it's taken me longer than what the guys I've seen around me and how they progress through it. And I just maybe have a little bit more stuff um, just because of still some of the stuff. Yeah. But here's the thing. One of the things we learned about from this amazing woman uh, that was teaching us, she was a therapist that was in recovery, had like 15 years sober. And she'd come in and she wasn't with us a lot because we were the group of men. But whenever she would come in, it would just be like, she'd be just be like sharp shooting, like, pew, 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 like shooting <laughs> us in the heart and like blowing us up and throwing hand grenades and just mic drops and then just piecing out. And it'd be like, wow, uh, who is that woman? <laughs> uh, and she was this just older African-American woman that was like, I don't know, 60, uh, maybe. Yeah, I'd say in her 60s, maybe in her 50s. But um, goodness gracious, was she just a powerhouse, a powerhouse. And I'll share the two things I got from her. Maybe you need to get her on the show. I would love to. I got to see through like their sure their treatment center and like okay. HIPAA and different yeah. stuff like that if I can. But I would love to have some of these people on the show because it would be powerful. Mm-hmm. Their stories because they're like big time bone chilling, like uh, and also like goosebump giving, and wow. it's really cool. So she talked about what wolf are you going to feed? She goes, every person has a. Uh, two wolves. They have a light wolf and a dark wolf. And she talked about um, basically that us as addicts, we've been feeding this wolf for how many years? 
for me, it was like, oh, I've been feeding this wolf for 15 years or more, really probably 16, 17 years. Wow. Really, if I go back to my first surgery, where after it, you know about the incident that happened a couple of days later. Oh, um, yeah. And I felt really gross. And what yeah. did I turn to after that kind of abuse was um, I turned to those pills because oh. those pills made me numb. So I thought the first time of addiction or alcoholism I had was after I won my national championship that I drank 15 shots. I thought 30, but the parents started giving me water shots after that uh, instead of vodka. And I look at that. That is my first usage. That's where I spun out. Now at treatment this time, I got to say, actually, um, when I had that surgery and when I was, when I guess I'll, I'll, I'll share it. You know, I had a, uh, share it. I had a, uh, my parents had a housekeeper growing up and she was an older woman. Um, and this isn't at all to speak bad about people from maybe like mobile home parks, things like that, but she just had a rougher life and she smelled like cigarettes all the time. Um, she was really worn and weathered, um, probably in her sixties and I'm 14, 15 years old. And I have a, a leg brace on from my, my hip to my ankle. And the day after the injury and surgery. What happened? And, um, I hurt my knee playing football. Oh, okay. Um, and, uh, I was put on opiates, I think. I don't know if it was like hydrocodone or if it was like Vicodin or if it, which is One the same those. thing, or if, it, or, or if it was oxy. Uh -huh. I don't know what I was given at that time. I wasn't I really paying attention to the body. Then, but my, my surgeon when I was 18 on my elbow for sure. So mm -hmm. this was just three years before. I'm mm -hmm. not sure what it was, but, um, they put me on some stuff that knocked me out. And when I was knocked out recovering, um, the housekeeper climbed on top of me and basically I would say raped me. I know that's a vicious word, but she had sex with me and that's my first time. And, uh, and like, I felt so gross after that. And I felt and you so, woke up during it, right? I woke up during it. I even like mumbled, uh, like stop or like what's going on and stuff. And I smelled her breath Ugh. and, um, her breath, Funny. like you know, when I smelt cigarettes, uh, my first time at treatment, I remembered this memory and you're challenged in your fifth step to share what you've never shared with anybody else and to share it up in front of God or your higher power and in front of someone that you can trust that will not take it outside that room. You know what I didn't share? I didn't share that. I didn't share that that happened. So I carried that weight with me until I went to this treatment center this time. And so after that happened, you know what I did? I literally leaned over after she got off and had to clean up or whatever. Ugh, I, um, God. yeah, I leaned over and I threw up. Yeah. I was in pain. I was in pain from my knee and I also, uh, threw up and I felt so gross, disgusted. Right. And, um, I didn't want that to be my first experience, like, and all oh. that stuff, you know? Mm -mm. So that was, that was really hard. And even thinking about that memory brought up stuff. Um, and it's kind of wrapped around my usage. Why a lot of times I use, but you took a shame. bunch of pills after that. Yeah. Cause I'm, cause I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm recovering from yeah. a, a real right. injury and everything else. And so, um, and I liked, I, I don't know if I even really was conscious of that. I liked that it, that I didn't just need it for my knee, but I wanted it to numb out the totally. memory. Mm -hmm. So I could 
can identify that that was kind of the first part, start of the problem. Did you ever tell anybody about that? Mm-mm. Not your mom or anything? Mm-mm. No. So I kept it in until... Did that lady keep cleaning was, your house? Uh, she, she was out of there pretty soon after that. Jeez. Um, but I was, I was right at the point where I started going to Bishop Lynch shortly after that. And then I was like away from... Yeah, I was growing up in Fort Worth. I was going to Dallas. I wasn't there often. Um. And that's a lot of shame for someone to share. Like, I, I guess I get it. I, I, you know, we met whenever we were doing an exercise, stepping forward, mm-hmm. a line of men across from a line of women, step forward when you've ever experienced this type of trauma. Mm-hmm. Honestly, that was one of the times I first stepped forward whenever in front of a group of women looking right at me. Um, and they said, if you've ever been bullied, if you've ever been the bully, and then they got to, if you've ever experienced sexual abuse. And, uh, or sexual trauma. And so I think the women, um, identified a lot in that sense that men can relate to them more than what they had probably previously thought. Yeah. Am I putting words? What, no, what would that's you say exactly from, correct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because after a bunch of men stepped forward, I remember some of the women just losing it. Do you remember that? The well, the whole point laugh, was or, to understand uh, that, that men and women go through a lot of the same things. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. I mean, this is an excellent case in point because yeah. a lot of women would be like, oh, he doesn't understand. I was raped, you know, yeah. <laughs> and like right here, yeah. here you were, yeah. you know, your first time. I yeah, mean, I would say that that was I, I, I at first was saying sexual abuse. That was and then they're like, no, 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 that is this. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's hard. It's even hard for me to say that word now. I'm sure you know? it is. It's uh, hard to say. But my counselor was like, yeah. no, you're, you're raped. Yeah. Uh, but um, one of the things that helped hey, me. Good job being honest about that right here. Thank you. You know? Yeah. 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 But looking back at some of that stuff and like a hundred and other 160 other wounds that I have in my life that I had to journal and write down and everything else, like it would trigger some stuff in me. And I didn't want to accept that there's triggers and stuff like that. Like, no, suck it up, get through it. Sure. Um, and the fighter in me wants to say, no, you know, I went from being bullied to being a fighter that can't be bullied. Right. But you even saw in a relationship that I brought into our lives, uh, a guy that was like six foot five and very wealthy and successful, like basically bully me in a moment on the phone where we weren't allowed to go to an event that we were invited to and we got the tickets for. Yeah. Do you remember that? And I of told course. you I sat down and you're like, what's going on? And we were literally getting ready, right? Or was yeah, we were, we were. We were getting ready for the fixing event. Fixing to go. Mm-hmm. I, go, I feel like we were, I'm 13 again. Yeah, you did. You were just sitting in the bedroom, just like looking defeated. Mm-hmm. And I was like, "What the hell is going on?" Yeah. And so we didn't go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, I didn't want to be around him, even if even if we could have gone. And uh, so that brought up some more stuff. But it here's was, some. Yeah, it was stuff you still needed to deal yeah. with because even today you were like, "Why didn't I handle that differently?" And I was like, "Look." It, that's just, it's just triggered what it needed to happen in that moment. Yeah. It's still stuff that you needed to deal with. Yeah, for sure. Onit.com slash overcome. Thank you, Onit, for sponsoring this show. Thank you for being there for me whenever I went to treatment. And also, thank you that it's in my doctor's regimen to take supplements just like Alpha Brain or a Total Human, uh, the daily and night support package or the day and night daily support packets. Um, they're so encouraging the quotes and you just know you're getting everything that's good right now at onit.com slash overcome. You save 30% on some of Onit's best supplements packed into these little great packets that are travel sized. 
and you can take them every morning and night and you know that you're getting good rest and fueling your body. Also, there's Alpha Brain Black Label. That's what I had right before this show. It's got only 25 milligrams of caffeine, but for me, that is enough. I don't like to have too much because I don't want to be shaky. I don't want to be jittery. And I also want to get good sleep. Uh, Matthew Walker and those types uh, that are just the sleep experts talk about how caffeine is ruining our sleep. Even just one cup of coffee a day um, or having it, especially after like noon and you think you can have coffee all day long, but you don't get into REM sleep, which is the only one that truly repairs your body the most. And so there might be one other stage, but you don't ever get to REM, which is the most uh, repairing that you get. So I love that Alpha Brain is a low grade of caffeine. I mean, a cup of coffee is like 100 or 150 milligrams of caffeine. And this is just enough to help me get into that flow faster and to stay in that flow state longer. So thank you for Alpha Brain, Alpha Brain Black Label, Alpha Brain Focus Shots. They're like the old five-hour energies, but they're much better for you and they taste so good. Sorry to take a shot at five-hour energy. I don't mean anything bad, ill will, but this focus shot is the best focus shot that I've tried on the market. Really love it. And so there's also fitness gear, equipment. There's the t-shirt I'm wearing uh, at onit.com slash overcome. You're going to love it. And thank you. Thank you. If you want to know a way that you can support this show, that is one of the biggest and best ways you can absolutely do it is by going to onit.com slash overcome and buying some product. So you'll be taking care of yourself. You'll be continuing to support this show and on it is going to be a sponsor of fight for the forgotten. So that's going to be an incredible way that you support the organization. I love that I'm the founder of. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you on it. Thank you to the listeners of the show. Let's return to Amy and I talking about my time at treatment. So on the fourth affirmations, or okay, this fourth the affirmations. Point, affirmations to say and meditate on every day. If you are someone that struggles, like having a wounded dragon that yes. maybe sometimes like stuff comes out of you that you don't like because yes. of these woundings or PTSD. And I, I do a lot with affirmations. So I just want to say it is about speaking from your heart, not your mm-hmm. head. Cause so many times it can be like, that's a lie or, <laughs> you know, that's not the truth or whatever. Okay. Mm. Let all that go and just repeat it and sit with it. And the repetition really brings the feeling. So mm. just trust feeling it, just trusting trust. it, mm-hmm. just trust, try it's to let anything it, else yeah. go. So, I mean, this might be good for me to say after I shared that. Um, I think it probably is. Yeah, what is it? I am safe in this moment. I have everything I need in this moment. Yep. That was then. This is now. I release trauma, turmoil, and grief. Asking for help is a sign of strength. It's kind of ironic that he told me that on the episode a few days ago, and then this is in the book about my story. But, um, The three I highlighted were that was then, this is now. I release trauma, turmoil, and grief. Asking for help is a sign of strength. Thank you, Dr. Amon, for your book. Thank you for being there for me right before I went to treatment. Thank you for reminding me asking for help is a sign of strength. Thank you, Amy, for being here. Thank you to the listeners that are listening to this. Um, Because I think that, uh, yeah, it's... um, it's important to talk about because I know that here's something that I learned in treatment. There were some people that were coming out of homelessness 
that I was like, holy cow, this is one of the smartest people I've ever met. And there was guys that were literally like helping run or executives at like some of the largest financial financial institutions in America. There were lawyers, there were firefighters and paramedics. There were guys at a major telecommunications thing. That's like a rock star there. There's another professional athlete. There is a rock star. It's going to be the next episode of mm -hmm. the show. Anthony Esperance, who is quickly becoming one of my best friends or at least better friends that I've had in my life. And he's from the band Papa Roach. He's mm -hmm. got an incredible story we're going to share. And I was like, wow, this disease doesn't discriminate. This disease. John here at Hot Pie always um, says that. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't discriminate. It, it will go after any race, religion, creed, country, social status. It does not matter. If you got a brain in your head, you could potentially cross over. And that was one of the really interesting things to see. A lot of people didn't cross over until addiction, until COVID. Wow. Um, that were there. I didn't go to I didn't go to treatment the first time until after COVID. Well, now I've gone twice since. <laughs> yeah. And so I think <laughs> I I, No, it's oh, true, wow. but it's like, wow. Yeah. Um, this is wrecking havoc on the US. And uh one thing I'll 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 go back and fix real quick. Earlier I said with Kevin McCauley's uh, thing, he said 3.4 million in the criminal justice system. I was wrong on that quote. It was 2.3 million okay. in the criminal justice system uh, that most are there for drugs, alcohol, or the behavior induced by drugs and alcohol, and that it's a public health crisis. Um, wow. I think, uh, I think what I would meant by, real quick, if we go back to this female counselor powerhouse and what she said about the wolves. It was like, whoa, that makes sense to me because the wolf analogy was like, I have been feeding the wolf of addiction in my life for 15 years. And when I was in treatment, I was like, oh my gosh, I've only been feeding the good wolf, the light wolf or white wolf or whatever you want to call it of recovery for 15 months. And I've been feeding that thing very poorly. Was it actually 15 months? No, I starved that thing throughout it <laughs> um, for the first six months, yeah. kind of. And you were kind I, of feeding for both. For the first five months. Figure it out, you two. Yeah. Well, actually, I, <laughs> I, I starved the 15-year one for five months. Yep. Right? And then and then I kind of I, I switched substances. Was it fully starving? I mean, you had your phone and I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I was I was not using substances. and um, and But I wasn't working an active program of recovery, which can be prayer meditation and exercise and, and, and hydrating better and eating better and getting better sleep, sleep. which you always talk about. You are a sleep, uh, fiend. You love it. I'm going to say a sleep aficionado. Aficionado. I like that. <laughs> Just made it up. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm, I'm trying to take note because I see that the times that I'm sleep deprived and I'm not eating well. Well, that's what sleep does to me. I will basically shove anything in my face if I'm yeah. If I'm tired, yeah, well, I'll eat anything. I'll put almost any substance in my body whenever I get yeah, tired. Yeah, who cares at that they, point? You're tired. Yeah. You don't care. Well, I think you could see this too. I was, so my white or light wolf, the good wolf, whatever you want to say, um, that thing was a puppy, right? It was a puppy. It was weak. And putting that thing up against a real wolf. It was a baby. Yeah, a little baby versus a vicious wolf that's been taking me out 
and like it's like the size of a football uh, uh, or the size of uh, a baseball field yeah <laughs> a professional protect predator right mm-hmm. that can just take out prey which is me um yeah. and those that i love and the really the purpose that i have and the dreams that i have um it's like that thing i have to protect it i have to put this other thing on a leash I have to put it in a cage and I have to lock you know it away. What? I don't know if you have to lock it away and put it in a cage. I'm going to say, just to continue with this analogy, uh, you have to think it too. Well, yes. Because it got you here. Yeah. Well, and you, as dangerous as you know that it is, yeah. it's still there. I have to have a respect for it. Maybe so. And, 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 and a, a, love, gratitude, a gratitude. A gratitude and love. I believe in finding gratitude and love for everything, yeah. even the darkest shit. So well, one of the yeah. things I can share then is that while I was at treatment, the, uh, the second time around was so positive. Um, well, let me get into the, the good and bad. Okay. The first one, cause I've said this a couple of times and I never shared it, but first treatment center I shared, I went to was like a shame based place that was like scared straight. That was F you mother effer, you mask wearing clown, you piece of shit. You F5 tornado that's just wrecking through and tearing every person you've ever loved apart. Are those actual quotes from there? That's their quotes. Yeah. Gross. Yeah. Yikes. And, um, and. I mean, I guess that uh, works for some people. I don't know. I don't know. It It didn't. I don't think any, I think we, they had a 0% success (laughs) rate. If if I'm anything to do with it, I think they had a. I mean, I, I didn't succeed and I don't know anyone that did. Um, Oof, I, 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 everyone that I knew from there isn't sober anymore. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And so, um, this place has a good success rate and that place advertised one. And I can't speak for everyone that went through that program. I don't know everyone that did. Well, not only that, they were feeding but, you like crap there too. Yeah. Well, I mean, Which, they said, so they that lied, is such they a big lied, part of it. They lied to you from the very beginning. They said, uh, they said that it was equine therapy on a hundred and something acres that you got to go on hiking trails that they had canoes and kayaks, um, lots of other stuff. Oh, that it was, they had pictures of a gym and it said state of the art gym ran by, uh, official like trainers or, or certified physical was trainers. There a gym? Uh, one second. And then, um, they, they said that it was, uh, gourmet. Uh, or nutritious approved meals provided by a gourmet chef. When I got there, well, let's, let's talk about what, what was really terrible. I'd come back from Mexico. I was trying to go there before I went to Mexico. Right. I got scared about going to treatment. I ended up in Mexico. I was using, I attempted suicide, mm-hmm. almost died. Yeah. Finally got back quarantined because it was COVID and I came from another country. Even though it was Mexico, there wasn't much at that time. Yeah. And they said, instead of a 14 day quarantine, I had to do a 21 day quarantine. So 18 days in now we're at like I'm five, at, I'm at 18 days sober. Right. Mm-hmm. They asked me for three different types of COVID test. I was like, is there even three different kinds of COVID test? <laughs> I had to reach out to my friend for the third and final one, David Sinclair from lifespan. Yeah. Anyways, he had, he had sent me a test that was like the third type that I needed. He drop shipped it and rushed it to their center so that I could take it right when I got there. It was very nice of him. Thank you, David. And um, uh, anyways, on my drive, though, there, I called him and said, hey, I'm coming. Uh, it was on my scheduled day. I call them. I'm pursuing them to get myself in there. And they go, great. Let's just do your intake questionnaire. Uh, 
So uh, they say, how long, what drugs were you using? I shared with them oxy, weed, and that the suicide attempt was more than that. Um, and then they go, great. When was the last time you used? I go, oh, 18 days ago. I'm actually pretty pumped that I've white knuckled it. I went through the withdrawals. I was mm -hmm. sweating through the bed. Food was, I almost shook the bed off the bed frame, the mattress off the bed frame. Uh, like literally I was having to shove it back on a foot or two every night. Um, I was, food was falling off my fork. I mean, like I did this on my own. Normally you do it in a detox center. And I didn't know normally what normal is because this is the first time I asked for help. He goes, oh. And I'm like, oh, what? And he goes, well, you haven't used in the last five days. And I was like, okay. He goes, so it's going to be out of pocket and that's $865 a day. And I go, wait, what do you mean? He goes, well, if you used in the last five days, you, you know, insurance, this and that you have to have used. I go, are you telling me to use? And, uh, I go just, just, uh, or no, I didn't say that first. I said, uh, I said, so can't you just say that I used in the last five days? Why don't you just spark up a and joint right then? Well, I I didn't have it. I was on my drive from Oklahoma oh, City to Dallas Fort Worth. I was mm. literally driving there, <laughs> and uh, like driving to check in. Yeah, and I had all my stuff packed. And he goes, "No, you had to use in the last five days." And I go, "So are you telling me to use?" And he goes, "You let me know that you haven't used, so I have to honor that with the state or something." And I go, "Well, <laughs> just tell him that you're telling me to use. It's dangerous." And I go, are you telling me to use? He goes, I'm not telling you to use. I'm telling you if you want to use insurance, you have to, or you, you have to have not been sober in the last five days. Right. And so I was like, so he's hinting at me. And I said, so I guess I should go like drink or use or smoke up something. And then his response was, so I guess we won't see you tonight. Maybe we'll see you tomorrow. And I'm like, uh, I hope so. And so I stopped at a fishing guides place at Lake Texoma. I ended up thinking, so I got some beer, smoked up a joint. Whenever me and that fishing guide got back, um, I thought I'd crash and go the next day. I had a hotel room and stuff. I ended up, um, anyway, it's not to make a long story, but I saw a bong and I thought I would, uh, from these people at the boat dock and they were hitting this bong. And for me, it looks exactly like a dab rig for marijuana, which is like using concentrate or shatter or like the crystallized THC, which can be a hundred percent or 96%. And they were using a torch on it. So I walked over and they first at first hit it. And then I kind of gave them this head. Not drug addicts can seek out. Like if there's a thousand person people in the room, I can find the one addict that's got drugs probably first, uh, first ask. And so I walked up and they hit it for me. They spark it up and I take a huge hit. <sighs> And the crazy thing is, is dabs, dabs are so hot. You're shaking your head. And That's I what it. you do. You just yeah. don't even ask. And you just take this yeah. massive hit of something. Yeah. That is crazy. That's crazy. But that's how the addict mind works. Oh, Justin. And but so, well, but yeah. you're just a big guy and you, yeah. you just take in a lot yeah. of whatever it is. And I can, I can have a high tolerance for most anything that there is. And uh, so I take the biggest hit of my life and I think it's THC, but all of a sudden it's not making me cough like crazy. It didn't burn at all. It was cool. It was like, it was cold and, uh, it was meth. All of a sudden I look at the guys and go, what is that? My eyes are all big. And, uh, I go, what was that? They go, what is it? What do you mean? What is that? And I go, was that THC? They go, oh buddy, you're going on a ride. And I go, what do you mean? They go, that was methamphetamine. 
And I go, holy shit. And I was off on a ride. And then uh, it was the hardest thing in the world getting me back to that treatment center. Anyways, not to complain about the other treatment center too much. Get there. They hold up my swim trunks. And they're holding up my swim trunks. They're like, you excited for the pool? The pool that was on the website? I go, well, I had a shoulder surgery and I'm just wanting to, you know, do physical therapy on my shoulder in the, in the pool. Oh, great. You're going to love the pool. This is the staff. They're holding up my, my, uh, shorts in a window that the clients can see me. And I'm like, what is going on? I get out from checking in where they checked all my stuff and they go, ah, you excited for the pool? I go, what's up with the pool? What's going on? And they go, there is no effing pool. And I go, huh? They just told me there's a pool. Wait, they lied to me about like quarantine come straight here. They lied to me about like, uh, like the pool. What else have they lied? Oh, there's no, there, you can stare at a horse once a week. That's not equine therapy. I'm like, okay. Uh, and then the thing about meals, it was either sandwich week or pasta week every week. And uh, I'm celiac. I asked them beforehand, could I have gluten-free meals? They said, yes. That's because I literally throw up or, or have stomach aches or I uh, diarrhea, different stuff like that. And so I was left with like iceberg lettuce and cheddar cheese and big ranch dressing or blue cheese dressing basically for lunch and dinner. Uh, sometimes there was yogurts. Um, and then for breakfast, they were having me cause I was a professional fighter and I wasn't court ordered there and they felt like they had to be harder on me and break me was their words. We're going to break you. We're going to break you while you're here, break you down to build you back up. They were waking me up at five or five thirty every morning. So I could cook breakfast for the other 32 other clients. I was cooking their bacon, their eggs, all that different stuff. Are you Long still story holding short, any resentments toward this place? You know what? That's a good question because I'm in the middle of my fifth step and I think I am. Oh, I think you are. I know I am. I mean, I just think even recounting this story. Yeah. Well, I've heard I just it a don't, couple times. I just don't like, think, well, I was sharing it for the first time I, with, with I know. them, but I think that it's not fair. And I know that, <laughs> oh yeah, you're right. Well, what's fair? You're going to turn it. <laughs> But no, I, I think, didn't say anything. I think that I think for me now I do find a place of gratitude at the same time that I'm resentful. I am grateful for this place because you know why I'm able to say what is the difference between good treatment and bad treatment? Sure. Like what, sure, what I, for sure. what I would like if I'm ever involved in a treatment center in the future, yeah. like helping one get started or speaking at one or being involved or who knows in 10 years, if we want to start a treatment center, once I learn yeah. and heal and all this stuff. So maybe you're able to say, maybe it's a nonprofit. I'm so one. grateful for this. I'm place so grateful for this it place. Gave me a really good. It gave basis me a good perspective for, of what not to yeah, do, yeah. how not to treat people. Yeah, seeing thirty guys jump or the how, fence and how leave. to treat people. Hmm. Let's say that I, I've figured out how to treat people also because of the second place that I went to. Right. This place was so badass. They were so loving. Oh wait, you so forgot kind. to say what the gym was at the There wasn't place. a gym. I mean there was there was like a little garage. <laughs> That's that what like I thought was, it was a garage. It was terrible. <laughs> yeah. It was a terrible gym. Mm-hmm. The other place had a boxing ring and yeah. uh boxing bags and crazy. Like to find the one and only place in America that has a combat sports <laughs> training program where my boxing <laughs> coach could come in there one lap. day a week and mm-hmm. my sparring partner was already there working. I mean it was like it happened on my behalf. Like, okay, you did it the wrong way. Um, you went to the wrong place, then you tried to handle it the wrong way. So I can definitely own that. I did not handle it right. I was wrong in my actions, my attitudes, even my attitude towards this place. I, I must shift that because what you, you wrote me these cards. And when I got there, I had 42 cards 
that I could pull off and put on post-it notes. And I could put these index cards that were like post-it notes on the wall. Yeah, they were post-it index cards. Yeah, it was great. And you wrote these encouraging things for me. And one of them was... Before I was angry, I did. Before you were angry. <laughs> and I was angry. Yeah. Anyway, but, and we said... But I'm still nice. It was very nice. It was so sweet. Uh, Gigi wrote some and drew me some pictures of frogs and mm-hmm. Leo or tortoise and mm-hmm. um, have a frogtastic day. Uh, <laughs> and you, the very first one, actually... The man right behind me on the Overcome Muhammad Ali painting, mm-hmm. uh, it, it was a quote from him. It said, don't count the days, make the days count. Yes. You know what I was doing at the first treatment center? 90 days, I was one of two guys to actually make it and saw 30 guys abandon it and leave because they couldn't handle being spoken to that way, being basically bullied for 90 days, mm-hmm. at least at times being bullied. Um, everyone got it. And it was below, they said it was below the belt only. Like, it's like, is that really helping anybody? Like we didn't come in here on winning streak. We came in here on our lowest of lows. Don't kick us while we're down. But, uh, you know, Muhammad Ali saying, don't count the days, make the days count. I was just counting those 90 days. I was just checking the box. I was like, I need to do this. Hopefully some magic happens. Hopefully I'm healed from this shit. And hopefully I'm going to be better because I never want to come back to a place like this again. And that was that empowering thought of me trying to say one and done one hit or quitter. I'll never come back to here because I never want to go through this again. But what you learn from, uh, basically the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous and 12 step programs is like, no, like there's the difference between a moderate drinker or user, a hard drinker or user, a hard at, or a real deal alcoholic and addict is a moderate drinker user. They can take it or leave it. And sometimes they might get drunk. Sometimes they might get high. And sometimes they might make a fool of themselves. Sometimes they might do something they regret, but they can laugh it off and get through it, right? Most times it's fun. Sometimes it's not. That's me pretty much. But with a reason, mm-hmm. um, but with a reason they can just, they don't have to do it at all. Right. Um, yeah, no, I'm trying to get fit. No, I'm trying to be healthy. I'm trying to get better sleep. No, I take care of my no, I'm, kids. I'm the one to take care mm-hmm. of my kids. So like you, I don't see you getting messed up, you know? And so um, I've seen you occasionally drink, mm-hmm. very occasionally for like birthdays uh, or a holiday or something yeah. like that. Um, so you can moderate, which means you can take it or leave it. You can actually walk away from it. A hard drinker might have started as a moderate drinker or user, but sometime they get into the hard category where it's affecting their health. They might, uh, they might die a couple of years early. Um, they might uh, lose a relationship. They might lose a job, stuff like that. But with enough reasons, they can stop completely or at least moderate. So a threat of a divorce. Okay, I'm going to stop, honey. A a kid crying saying, I don't like it when you drink. All right, I'm going to stop. You're going to lose this job or this big account. Mm -hmm. You know what? That's not worth it. I'm going to moderate now or completely stop. They can do that. But the real deal addict and alcoholic, they just can't. They just can't without some sort of, they call it a spiritual experience or a complete psychic change. Like working a program, being like moderating, uh, or sorry, not moderating, meditating, praying, meditating, reviewing their day, going to a meeting, which that doesn't really keep you sober. It's good to have community fellowship, all that stuff, but it's actually like working some steps, which is like a design for living. 
Mm-hmm. It's like a better way to live your life, which is like, be honest with people, have an open mind. Um, and so it was really, really powerful for me to like, see that and be like, okay, how am I going to feed this white wolf, uh, light wolf, like the good wolf? Because again, that powerhouse came in, um, that counselor. And she said, do you guys not get it that every time you relapse, you're playing Russian roulette? And all of a sudden that hit me. And I started looking at some of these past relapses and like for me to know I'm, I'm not just a hard drinker user. It's like, no, it used to be fun and it was fun until it wasn't. And it hasn't been fun at all. Um, uh, in, in recent times, recent relapses where I go off and I'm alone and I'm using alone or I'm making some really bad decisions and choices, or I'm dropping the ball in my commitments and my relationships. It's like, no, I'm, I'm the real deal. And these relapses aren't like, because I've had two suicide attempts, I don't have one bullet in that chamber. I've at least got two because I've tried to take my life twice. Cause I couldn't escape this addiction. And actually if it's a six, six shooter, I don't want to be overly dramatic and say there's six out of six in that loaded gun, but it could be. And so what is it? Is it, is it half of them are loaded? Is it, is it, is there only one unloaded in that chamber? And it's like, that's not a risk I'm wanting to take. And it's already a risk being an addict and an alcoholic. So what am I going to do to make sure I don't go down that slippery slope of relapse? They say recovery is a prog- a process, right? And, and it's not perfection we're after it's, it's progress. progress. Yeah. Not perfection, but progress. And, and it's actually not even that it's like spiritual perfection. It's spiritual progress. So are yes. you heart, mind, and soul? Are you getting better? And are you making progress and not slipping back? So if you think of like the steps, for instance, like as a ladder, that's like you, you go through these steps and you get higher and higher up on this ladder. Well, you can start to monitor yourself through that 10 step that we we're talking about as like, am I taking steps back down this ladder? <laughs> you know? And they say, and so if recovery is a process, also relapse is a process. That for me was encouraging because it's like, I do have from Dr. Amon's studies and on my own brain, it's like, you do have an impulsive mind. Sometimes it's like, all of a sudden it's just there and boom, it's there. And I felt like, oh, it just happens. No, actually, like there's all these other areas in my life that if I build myself up and I'm fit or strong or in, they call it spiritual condition in these ways, it's like I can start to identify one, having these people in my life, a sober support network, you who's so on top of a lot of stuff, but I can't put my sobriety on anybody. I can't put it on you, can't put it on them. But if I have like a plethora of like good people that are in my life that understand my struggle. And I think one of my downfalls was that I really didn't want to be in the community. I didn't want to be in a recovery community. Um, I felt judgmental, not just of them, but of myself. Um, because honestly, I saw a lot of badasses in it and they were pretty cool. <clears throat> but I think having the stigma of having to go to these meetings or whatever and or having to work these steps, like it was like, I don't want to do that. I don't want that to be me. I just want to beat it. I just want a one time, one hitter, quitter or submission where like I nicked this thing. Oh, if only and I life cut this thing out of way. me. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> it just doesn't. You're right. Nothing does. Yeah. Literally nothing. Nothing does. Mm-mm. You're right. So I'm I have a lot of hope because this place, they just bless the mess out of me or help me love the hell out of myself. One of the cards you wrote was thank the old you. 
That's love, what I meant about that wolf. Yeah. Love the old you. Mm-hmm. Thank it for getting you here to this opportunity of growth. That's unconditional self-love. Yeah. That's what that's called. Yeah. Um, there was a lot of really good uh, stuff in those cards and, and I was grateful to be able to read them every day and still have them. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things I wanted to share was about why I extended my trip um, a couple of weeks uh, at treatment. I extended it two weeks, um, two different times. And they had this thing called ART, Accelerate Resolution Trauma Therapy. Yes, which we addressed earlier. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I got to do it with my therapist, my counselor. And for those people out there, I want to share the story with you because um, it, I, I... Oh, I was just going to say, have, it had its roots in EMDR. I was mm-hmm. just looking it up. And mm-hmm. so um, this doctor you know, developed the technique in 2008 after using EMDR and it sort of spun out from that to to accelerate the process, which is really cool. And it's about, you know, helping with trauma and PTSD. My personal experience with EMDR was good, but I think I did it three or four times and two, two or three times I felt good afterwards, like a little bit of a weight lifted, but all the times I was flooded with emotions. And at least one of the times I felt like I was left more raw than when I came in there mm. and I didn't leave with that resolution. I left with almost like a, a trigger of that PTSD that I was flooded with emotions. and I didn't know what to do with it because it was so much came up um, and it's hard for me to say that. Yeah. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I didn't know what art therapy was. Yeah. And we did two family sessions and the yeah. first one uh, was tense. We did mm-hmm. a tense session with a therapist from your recovery place. And we did it on FaceTime or mm-hmm. Google meet or whatever. And, uh, yeah, you looked rough. I could tell you were going through it and you were like, got mad at your therapist at one point kind of, and you were yeah. like, we're supposed to do art therapy and we haven't done it. And I was like, what the hell is he talking? They're going <laughs> to go painting. paint pictures. <laughs> Good Lord. What is he doing there? He's going to go paint pictures. I was like mad. I was like art therapy. I didn't even, yeah. I didn't have any clue what it was until like after you did it. And I was like, maybe I should, yeah. this doesn't sound like they're painting pictures. <laughs> <laughs> well, I should have probably explained it in that moment. No, we were scheduled to do it that day. Well, and she kept instead... referring to it too. She would text me and be like, we're going to do his art therapy. And then she was yeah. like, then she texted, she said, we did the art therapy. Justin did really well. And I was like, what the hell are they talking? Mm-hmm. Great. What do you paint a picture? Yeah. To get through his trauma. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, uh, I, I, I wish it was that simple. Anyway, because, it's not, um, it's nothing like that. Basically I went to, uh, I went back to the past and she said, what do you think you want to work on today? I want to ask your brain. And I was like, okay. She's like, so I'm going to do some EMDR. So basically that rapid eye movement, which kind of takes your brain into REM, like REM sleep. Whenever you're in REM sleep, your eyes are, are rapidly moving, right? And that's where your body repairs. And so what they try to do is trigger your brain to repair during some of these times of trauma. So cool. So cool. But when she started doing it, I thought she was like hypnotizing me because I, in EMDR even, I didn't get tired, but I think I really was in a place where I wanted healing. It was even so much that I got frustrated with her that she switched it up and we had our call and not ART because I was like, I thought I was getting some healing today. And instead we had a call that was kind of hard or really hard. And so going into it, I like really had a moment of meditation beforehand. I went in and we were supposed to be in there an hour. We were in there two and a half hours. She started waving her hands 
And all of a sudden my eyes got heavier than they've ever been in my entire life while still being awake. Like more than any time late night scrolling on the phone and the phone hitting you in the face mm-hmm. and you're like, ah, oh, you know, I should probably go to sleep. Um, more than any time from jet lag. I promise this was the most tired I'd ever been without actually falling asleep. And I ask her, are you hypnotizing me? She goes, no, your brain is trying to work on your behalf to heal. Wow. And I was like, okay. She's like, just go with it. If you fall asleep, it's fine. I'll be right here. But like, just push through. So I was like, okay. So she kept waving her hand. And all of a sudden, uh, she said, is there anything coming to your mind? What do you think you deal with when it comes to using? Why do you use? And I said, I think it's shame. I think it's unworthiness. I think it's that I feel worthless. And she's like, well, is there anything else? And I go, hold on. All of a sudden, an E popped up in my mind's eye. Like, in, uh, my mind was black or whatever, like closed eyes. But in front of my eyes, there was an E. She's like, what do you think that stands for? I said, easy, embarrassment. When I get embarrassed, that's probably one of my biggest triggers to use. When I get embarrassed, I feel shame. When I get embarrassed, I feel worthless. When I get embarrassed, I'll feel fear. When I get embarrassed, I'll feel anger. Um, and I just don't feel good enough when I'm embarrassed. Like, and she's like, well, let's go back to the earliest memory of that. I said, oh, well, that was whenever I was bullied as a kid. And I was 13 years old. And I went to this costume party and dressed up. And she's like, oh, is there anything before that? And I was like, oh, okay. So I went before that. And um, uh, I was like, yeah, I went to this homecoming party and our homecoming game. And I had a mom. And she's like, is there something before that? Not middle school, before that. Say, okay, well, I'm a runner when I use. I'm a runner. I ran away in in eighth grade. I ran away after that. I've ran away in my addiction where I disappeared on people for two months or one month or five days or this other time periods. And I'm a runner. So I think I was embarrassed because I was going to get some abuse either at school or at home or different stuff like that. And um, so I run and I ran away in second grade. She's like, is there anything before that? And all of a sudden I got this pit in my stomach and it felt like my stomach was tying in knots. And then she's like, do you feel any other restrictions? And I go, yeah. And she waves her hand and she goes, what do you feel? I go, I feel like I'm tied down with ropes. Like uh, that there's ropes over my shoulder and that they're, they're pinned or nailed into the four stakes in the ground. She's like, okay. And she does her hands waving. She's like, can you find a tool that would free you? And I was like, yeah. So anyways, I got to grab these things that were like almost like bush trimmers or whatever, wire cutters and, and, and basically untether myself, which is kind of cool. Cause I've never read the book untethered soul, but you talked about that. And it was kind of like, I was freeing myself. Michael Singer. Yeah. <clears throat> Michael, yes, Singer, Michael Singer, untethered soul. And so all of a sudden I felt lighter. Um, and I had some help from like some, some almost spiritual guides of sorts that like untied the knots in my stomach. And anyways, it was like all of a sudden that was kind of a symbol that we can get to work. And she's like, let's, let's go back into this. And so, and what was really cool was she was prompting some things, but also my mind was just coming up with these wild pictures and stories or movies in my mind. So the, where I'll get to now is she's waving her hand and all of a sudden I see myself I see a TV, actually. I see a TV and I see little me, like I'll call him little J. I saw little J on the TV and he was being walked down a hallway and put into a closet by my babysitter. 
I had this babysitter growing up and I was really young. It was before kindergarten, I think, or at least before first grade. And I get dropped off there sometimes. My parents worked and they worked a lot. They owned their own companies. My mom also worked at a hospital. She was up at work at 5 a.m. My dad worked all hours and would work seven days a week. And so sometimes I'd be dropped off with this babysitter. What she'd do is she'd walk me into the closet and there was a a night bright. A lot of people probably don't know what that is. A light bright. Light bright. I had one. You had one. Yeah. I had the old model. It would get real, real hot. I'm sure it was a huge fire hazard. Yeah. So basically it's a black, I mean, on the screen, it's a black screen and you put in these different colors mm-hmm. uh, and you would make different patterns and it would make different cool things in the dark. So she used that as a tactic to distract me and to get me into the closet. And so, and then she would do stuff, right. And uh, she would undress me or touch me. And I feel that was my first time being embarrassed. And so I'm seeing this on the screen. It's bringing stuff up. My stomachs are tying in knots. Again, my heart's starting to race, but there's a remote. I grab the remote and I push pause and I push rewind and I tell her what's going on. And she goes, what do you want to do if you push play? And I push play and I stepped in through the TV, almost like a, I don't know, a superhero movie or whatever. I stepped through the TV and while she's reaching out for my waistband, I'm able to do an arm drag or like a self-defense move, but in MMA, it's an arm drag wrestling. It's an arm drag and you take their back. So I arm drag her gently and I kind of guide her out the door and I say, nope. And once she's out of the door, shut the door and I pack up the night bright. I check on me, little Jay. I pack up the night bright and I grab the night bright and I grab little me and I go to open that closet door again. Well, when I open that closet door, I'm at Dairy Queen (laughs) and, uh, I know what the Dairy Queen is. A lot of listeners probably don't know. But when I ran away from that party, when I was bullied and I dressed up as an, as Dr. Optimus Pepper, yes. um, I uh, ran away to a Dairy Queen. I threw all that away. That's where Aaron Alexander, a friend who we yeah. talked to earlier, helped me realize I hate, and I took that into therapy, I hate sticky hands. Why do I hate sticky hands? In that moment, I threw away the duct taped cardboard boxes that, you know, 24 pack on my head, 12 packs on my arm. I threw it away in the dumpster. Well, in that dumpster, there was melted ice cream. There was like chili. There was like food, right? And then I held myself. I didn't have anything to wipe my hands off of. I wiped it off on my jeans and I held myself in a ball. Anyways, I open up the door with little Jay and we're right there at the Dairy Queen. We're right by the dumpster. Same exact spot I ran away to. And I throw away uh, the night bright or the light bright. And I ask him, I go, what, do you want a do you want a blizzard? I love blizzards. So uh, being a kid from the country, the Texas stop sign, the Dairy mm-hmm. Queen sign. I uh, instead of walking in, I go, let's do something fun, and I walk around to the window. And at the window, uh, they give us our blizzards and they turn it upside down for us to show it's you know blended right. And I walk away, and we go. All of a sudden, we're at a uh, park. Well, the park was the same park I ran away to when I was in second grade. So it's almost like it backtracked for me. I was able to meet the young me there too. And I sat down at a a park bench. I'm starting to talk to little Jay and he gives me this look and it's this look like there's, you're forgetting something or there's something not right. Something's not right. And so I tell my counselor that and she goes, what do you mean? I go, I don't know. This is like a real repressed memory for me. I used to doubt if it even happened. Mm -hmm. And she goes, well, let's go back to that TV. And so all of a sudden she does her little eye movement thing. And I've closed my eyes again. All of a sudden I'm in front of two TVs, not one TV, but two. 
and I see on the right one, it's not on, I push play. And all of a sudden that babysitter's walking, not just me in her hand, but on her other side was a little girl. And I was like, whoa, all of a sudden the memories flash back to me that it wasn't just me. She did this too. There was another little girl. And so she took us in there with a light bright is. And, um, anyways, I was able to step through the TV again, arm drag the woman again when she was reaching out for me or her and guide her out the door, say, nope, pick up both the kids, go to Dairy Queen, walk through, get us three blizzards. And all of a sudden I was back at another park and the park I was at was the one down the street from us. The one that we were on Christmas Eve mm-hmm. playing, playing tennis with Gigi and my mom. And mm-hmm. we were there and I was able to push little me on these swings. Um, and her, like the, I was mm-hmm. in between both of them and little Jay was like really excited. I also pushed him on the merry ground. He's saying like faster, faster. Mm-hmm. And on the swings, he was like jumping off of them and he was like brave and happy, sat down at a bench and I asked the little girl from her, her mommy's number. And so I was able to call her mom and I was able to get her mom there and get her home to her mom safely. Um, her mom hugged me, thanked me and I got to see her, you know, happy and smiling and leaving. Then there was this part. I think you said this would be a part. I wrote a letter to you to be able to remember this stuff. Mm-hmm. I thought I would read it because uh, I said, I sat young Justin down. I spoke life over him. I spoke love into him. I told him, I'm going to protect you from now on. You aren't your trauma, turmoil, or grief. You aren't your mistakes. You aren't bad. You are good. You are loved. And I love you. You don't have to be scared. You don't have to be embarrassed. You aren't an embarrassment. I told him, you don't have to run anymore. You don't have to run ever again. I will protect you when you want to run. I will step in. I will fight for you. You will grow up to love people. There is purpose in your pain. Don't run from it. Face it. Feel it. And magic will happen. You will grow up to love people radically. You aren't alone. You won't be alone. I'm with you. You have a bigger purpose. than some and you you'll point people to theirs you aren't you are a hero young man uh you will be courageous i need you to be honest with me with others and you will love yourself like your life depends on it you'll love people like you've never been hurt uh after that i broke down immensely before i could tell my counselor i could hardly get out the words i've been told you're my hero and a person several times on social media, many times, maybe hundreds of times, I got to be my own hero, the hero I needed, the hero I wanted in that moment. I became my own hero and young me gave me that look of concern. Intuitively, he let me know there was someone we left behind. Uh, Young me was already hero. I was born to be a hero for myself and for others. And for me, I think what was really powerful was, man, um, Jeff Higgs, the chairman of our board for Fight for the Forgotten, he really wanted me to do some psychodrama. And he basically explained it like that. Go back to a memory and you get to like help yourself and you get to tell your your younger self like you're older now or I'm older now and I get to protect you. I get to defend you. I get to not react And so when you want to run away, you don't have to, I'll be there to help. You know, I've learned some things, I've grown all this stuff. And he kind of put that in my head. And that's why I was like, no, I got to get this treatment. Extend me a week. I got to get this treatment. Extend me again. And, um, 
and I want to process it better. And we'll work on some more of this stuff. And wow, I didn't realize um, how much weight would fall off of me. Like sometimes I feel like with this addiction, it's not the weight of the world, but to me it is. Or like it's too much weight. I, I can't, I can't live the purpose I want to live or I can't help the people I want to help or I can't just love myself with this side of me. But through this process, I've been able to learn to embrace it and to love it and to believe that, that this isn't a punishment. This is an opportunity. It have new lenses. And one of the things my new sponsor said, who's really a badass, um, he said, I have a question for you. Could being an addict be the most beautiful and best thing that's ever happened to you that will give you more purpose, that will allow you to help more people, that will allow you to have more self-compassion, that will allow you to not just say you should or could or would love yourself, but that you'll have to do it for sure. And he just reminded me like, you know, a lot of people out there are dying from this, um, are having their, their purpose cut off like that. Their purpose is dying and that, um, you know, uh, because of this, I'll be able to, to, to help more people or I'll be able to live an honest life. Yeah. Because not living honestly, I'm going to die from it. So it's a little bit of a life or death matter. And all this work is like for a purpose. It's like, hey, having a new attitude, new behaviors, having a new relationship with creator or your your higher power. And then the main thing is like, hey, it's it's to help others. But really the main thing is like stay sober, <laughs> like be recovered and like find freedom in that. And so I'm really, really glad I went to treatment. The place was... 10 stars, you know, is better than I could have hoped, dreamed or prayed for is exactly what I needed. That was one of the things you said, trust that you are exactly where you're supposed to be. Mm -hmm. Yep. What are you thinking? No, trust. Yes. Trust that. Okay. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. So grateful for everyone. Thank you, Amy, for being here with me. Oh, yeah. My beautiful producer back in studio with me. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad yeah. we're back. I'm glad you're back. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think one of the takeaways for me on this, too, is that um, it's important to do that work, but also on both sides, you know, feel your feelings. Mm. Stop numbing them. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah. Whether you're on that side or this side. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think one takeaway for me that I always have to remember <clears throat> is, um, and I know we're wrapping up, but it's step one truth. Basically, that is that you are powerless over alcohol or drugs, um, admitting you're powerless over alcohol and that your life has become unmanageable. They say that that's for a real deal addict and alcoholic. That's the only one you have to get perfect mm -hmm. because the second you start doubting that, oh, yeah. no, 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 it's going to be different this you. time. That was oh, yeah. you. I don't know this, this next time I can use like a gentleman or having selective memory. Like, yeah, nine out of 10 times is a train wreck, but that one out of 10, yeah, that's pretty good. I remember that. That's, yeah. that's okay. Yeah. Everything's okay. Yeah. And so for yeah. me, it's like having that truth that and in many ways I'd make excuses. My life wasn't unmanageable here or there or this other way, but for sure my usage was unmanageable. And when I used every relationship, every commitment was unmanageable for me. 
So I've yeah. never stayed committed. I even, I mean, during those therapy sessions, I broke up. I said I wanted to break up. Remember yeah. that? Yeah. Three times, I think. Yeah. And so our counselor was like, so what you're saying is you're moving on <laughs> and that this is a hard boundary that, that you guys are finished, that you are done. <laughs> and, uh, no, she said, can you just not make the decision right now? Can you just say, I'll be here right now, blah, 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 whatever she said. And I was yeah. like, okay. Yeah. So I backed well, up. Well, one time, well, you said it three times. So one of the times was like, she was mm -hmm. trying to clarify. So you're breaking up right now. And then she got around to, okay. Cause you said, anyways, it doesn't matter, but yeah. it was, it was kind of like, <laughs> but anyway, yeah. the point is whatever yeah. the point is. I don't know. The point is the point that is... help is out there. Yes. Help is out there help and out there. you can help yourself and, uh, and others want to help you. Yeah. And I'm so grateful that others were there to help me, you mm -hmm. in front of me. Colton behind the well, computers back there, Hot Pie Media. Yeah, my help is different. My help is by backing off. Yeah, my help is. Yeah, but that's a way like, of helping. Healthy I boundaries. Mean, someone said to me, "Aren't you worried that you're, you know, you're going to be worried all the time that he's going to be using?" And I was like, no, "Hell no, I'm not living like that." Yeah. So I'm surrendered myself in my yeah. own way. You know, I'm surrendered to because. It's not, I know we're rebuilding trust, but really I'm not putting my trust in you. I'm yeah. just putting my trust in that I'm where I'm supposed to be, like yeah. you were saying, and that I'm going to be, I'm going to know the yeah. right thing for me. And so uh, that is comforting. So I'm yeah. like, okay, I can trust myself, my intuition, mm. my higher power mm. over all else. Yeah. I love that because, um, one, I think that's really healthy for you. And two, I think that's really healthy for me. It is. Um, you are your own responsibility. Yeah. Not mine. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And I've built a team of a sober support network mm -hmm. that literally know my struggle so intimately because they've also struggled with it and overcome it. Yeah. And so I can lean on those people for their advice, their wisdom, and I can pray, meditate. I can ask yeah. me for me. I can ask God for help. And man, that's all never let me down. It really hasn't. So thank you. There you go. And, uh, yeah. Love the listeners of the show. If this would help anyone, please share it out. If you know someone struggling with active addiction, someone struggling that you might think might relapse or you might uh, know someone that um, maybe it's you, you know, uh, I would ask for help. I would say look into treatment options. Uh, meetings are good, but sometimes like you really need treatment. You need to reset. You need, it's not a vacation. It's, it's work. But it's good to have that reset. Honestly, I think everyone could benefit from that, like a seven-day retreat, a 30-day retreat, a 90-day retreat. Well, I kind of took retreat. my own while you were yeah. gone, you know? I didn't – I just said no to things. It gave me a really good reason to say no to things. People were very understanding. They yeah. were like, I bet you're going through a lot. And I was like, I am. Yeah. And sometimes I just sat there mm. and just stared ahead, you know, and like just felt my feelings. Mm. Y'all can listen to my show if you want to hear more about that. Yeah. That's what I talk about. The Amy Edwards show. That's right. On Hot Pie Media. <laughs> Thank you, Onnit, for sponsoring this. They did not like jump ship when I told them I was going to uh, treatment. They stayed Nobody with me. did. No one did. And that's what you said. Like, hey, literally everyone's rooting for you. Everyone was rooting <laughs> for you. That's so nice because yes. you don't think that whenever Everyone. you're No, you failing. don't. And you know what, though? If you ask for help, if you are going through a lot and you ask for help, People are rooting for you. People see, people think that takes a lot. It does take a lot. They think that because it does. Yeah. So and oftentimes yeah. be surprised at oh, the yeah. outpouring of support and love. 
big time. Mm-hmm. Thank you for listening. You can subscribe. Yes. You can like, share. You can rate, review. We would love some please. reviews if this is helping anyone. Please let us know. Yeah. We'd love it that feedback. It speaks to you at all, please. We also have an email for uh, stories of your own overcoming story. Yes, we uh, want to share more of those. Overcomepodcast at gmail.com. Mm. Mm-hmm. Thank you, thank you. Hey, don't forget to send your overcome stories to overcomepodcast at gmail.com. And also rate, review, subscribe, and follow Overcome with Justin Wren.